Well, look, I've, I've um, been asked to talk about um, someone I spoke about around three years ago uh, when we were in, in the old building, and uh, his name's Octavius Hadfield. And Octavius Hadfield, to me, uh, was probably considered the most influential missionary that came to New Zealand. Um, he had impact to a governmental level, and uh, he was just an incredible guy. But he didn't start out that way. You know, there's always a story to tell. You know, you look at the highlights and you think, whoa, man, that, that guy's awesome or that girl's doing a good job. You know, how bold Michelle is getting up and speaking in front of people. May not have started that way. And Octavius Hadfield was absolutely like that. He was raised in a family uh, that was actually very wealthy. His dad was a silk merchant um, and he came from the Isle of Wight, which is over England way. Uh, so he, he wasn't a well-to-do family. That was one thing that was, he was very fortunate to be born into. Um, but one of his major challenges right from a child was he had very, very bad asthma to the point where as a child, several times they thought he was going to die. And this is something that plagued him right throughout his, um, his life. I mean, he was just a sickly sort of guy. And um, so that, that was one of his major challenges. So he was born into this large family, and I better get to my notes now, I'm raving on, but uh, he's born into this large family in this Isle of Wight. Uh, he grew up, he sailed a lot as a kid, so he had this quite privileged um, upbringing, which he used these, some of these skills later on in life, where he sailed from the bottom of uh, Wellington to South Island and back. And as anyone knows, if you've been over on the ferry between the two islands, it's not exactly the friendliest piece of water in the world. Um, so, but, but some of these early skill sets he used later on in life. But anyway, um, he grew up as a teen, he became a Christian. He, w he was a part of a Christian household, but that's when he engaged and had this life-changing life experience with God. Uh, and he realized uh, that, hey, there is a God, which we all have to come to that time in our life, don't we? You know, you can be raised in a Christian family, it doesn't make you a Christian. Um, you know, there's probably many of us sitting here today that have brothers and sisters that perhaps are Christians and perhaps aren't. And, uh, but hey, we believe for household salvation and we keep pressing in for their lives um, before the throne of God. So anyway, uh, Octavius Hadfield ended up going to university and uh, that was Oxford University. And so he, he was an intelligent guy. Um, he certainly had the, the, the you know, he had, he had the mind power there to be successful. He did his first year of university at Oxford, and uh, and then he started fairly, uh, falling tremendously sick to the point where he got pulled out of university. His whole family thought he was going to die. He had tuberculosis as well as this chronic asthma. So I mean, he this guy was on his deathbed, you know, and it, but it wasn't the first time. And uh, so this guy had. You know, I mean, I look, I think in my own life and I'm quite, I've had quite a healthy, you know, life and I'm so thankful for that. You know, health's such a blessing, isn't it? Um, but in the midst of this, the cool thing about Octavius Hadfield is that he had something going on in his life. And it was from his experience of asking Jesus Christ into his life as a young teen. And during this time of tremendous sickness, um, he developed this lifestyle of, of living in the Word. And, uh, and I'd like to, the first point today about this guy's lifestyle is merging with the Word. Can everyone say merge with the Word? Merge with the Word. 
I believe this is really what defined who Octavius Hadfield was and why he ended up having such a tremendous impact on New Zealand. John 15 verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I mean, that's an incredible statement. Have you ever really thought about that statement? If you ask, it will be done for you. I mean, it sounds almost presumptuous uh, for Jesus to say that. But there's a condition to this statement. You know, you're not going to get things unless you're abiding within Christ. And abiding isn't just about turning up to church on Sunday. It's like this merging. It's like this, this absolute merging of us as our earthly self with, with this heavenly uh, encounter with God. Um, anyone celebrating Lunar New Year at the moment? Yes, got a few. Any Asians in the house, should I be saying? Any Japanese in the house particularly? Oh, yeah, there she is here, just throw out. Um, my wife's Japanese in case you don't know, Terumi. Um, although she has got a Māori last name, Kamata. Because she still runs with Kamata more, I don't know, more Kamata? Kamata more, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's a cool name. All right, so uh, Lunar New Year, we made uh, dumplings on, on Friday. One of our, uh, the guys I work with, he's um, from China. And so he got the little round, I don't know if you've ever made them, but got the little round um, rolled out flour um, uh, pieces. And he uh, put, all, put all the ingredients together and we got around the table with the flour and, and, and made these little dumplings. I've never made dumplings in my life. Anyone made dumplings before? Mm-hmm. Yeah? How did you find it? Was it easy, hard? Hard, yeah, yeah, that's what I found. It was So you basically, you put the ingredients in the middle and you wet your finger and you go at, do basically a half circle and then you bend it over and sort of somehow press it together. So I was doing this, I'd done two or three and then uh, William, who is, is uh, the Chinese guy I work with, he came up and said, oh, Elliot, you're doing it wrong. And I was going, what? And uh, well, I gathered I was because they look pretty ugly, to be honest. There's food coming out and, you know. Um, but anyway... He said, you're not pressing the, the flour together enough on the edge. So you, you fold it in half, and then you, you've got to press it together. Now, if, if you don't, when it goes into the pot, then all the food starts sort of bleeding out because it hasn't sealed properly. And this is the type of thing I'm t- talking about. You know, we need to have this abiding in God where we merge with God. You know, it's, it's not like two bits of flour, you know, like that like with a dumpling where you're sort of touching each other, there has to, absolutely has to be this merging, this God experience, this God getting inside your life. And that's what we're talking about as far as the uh, abiding in me. Second Corinthians say, but uh, 3.18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this guy, he had this absolute merging with God through a lifestyle of prayer and getting into the Word. If you can leave anything today, and I don't think Octavius Hadfield would mind me saying this, start getting into a lifestyle of reading and meditating and abiding in Christ. Because if you live a lifestyle like that, you'll ask anything you want and it'll be given to you. I mean, isn't that amazing? The reason is, is because you're abiding. You've merged with Christ. 
It's, not, it's no longer just a, oh, yeah, I've asked Jesus into my life one day and I go to church on Sundays, but I do nothing else. It's actually you're living, eating, breathing. You're in this relationship. You're cheek to cheek, you know. Like the Bible, Bible says that we are the apple of God's eye, right? That's when you get that close that you can see the reflection of yourself in the other person's eye. That's what it's about. It's getting that close. Intimacy. So anyway, in this, in this relationship that he had, he basically uh, had this revelation out of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which is probably outside of perhaps John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the second most famous scripture in the Bible. And this is the, what they call the Great Commission. And he read this, and this is, this is Jesus when he uh, said to the disciples before he exited to go to earth so he could then send the Holy Ghost to empower us uh, to do the works that the Father created us to do. Um, he had this revelation that he was meant to do something. And Jesus said to these disciples, all authority has been given uh, to me. And he said, you ought to go and make disciples. Not just disciples, but disciples of nations. I mean, this is God. This is how God thinks. You see, we think, oh, I want to disciple the next door neighbor. I want to disciple my brother, my sister, someone I work with. God here is saying, I want you to go and disciple nations. His mindset is, you know, I mean, this is God. He doesn't think at our level. We think, oh, we want to pay the rent. You know, he doesn't think that way because, well, all right, we'll pay the rent. I mean, this, this, is, this is tiny thinking, but it's, it's where we think when we have to pay the rent, right? So here's this expansive idea of Jesus saying to the disciples that you're going to be discipling nations. And this is what the Great Commission is all about. This is what touched his soul and got this boy moving. Can I say this? Direction comes from connection. People say to me, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. You know, I've been following God. I've been doing that. You know, I've been praying. I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. Can I tell you, you've got to get closer to God. You know, if you haven't experienced the greatness of God, it's not about God being far away from you. It's about you being far away from God. Get closer to God. Abide in the word. Merge with the word. Let it become so much a part of you. If you're cut, you bleed the word, you know. And you know it, if someone cuts you off, what first comes out of your mouth? Hopefully not a swear word. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, if you hit your hammer, I mean, hey, we're only human, let's be honest. But, you know, the closer you get, the less likely it is that the, the bad is going to come out of your mouth. You know, the negative statement, you know, dragging people down. You're going to just start oozing life. You're going to start oozing the spirit of God. With the spirit of God is there's life and life to the full. And that's how we should be. So anyway, number two, make up your mind. Can everyone say that? Make up your mind. All right, when you merge with the word, and look, I'm, I, 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 I sort of apologize in even talking to you about this because if you do merge with the word, I, I'm standing back here. It's going to be awesome. You're going to go for a ride that you've never experienced before. Because God is a God of faith. He's a God of taking you places where you'll be frightened out of your skin. You know what I mean? God doesn't dwell in the place of the known. He dwells in the place of faith. He dwells in the place beyond our understanding. And that's why he's God and we're not. 
So uh, make up your mind. This is what Octavius said. He said, I made up my mind that in my, if, sorry, if my health improved, I would go to work somewhere as a missionary among the heathen. Everyone said, among the heathen. Yeah? I mean, I was a good heathen at one stage. I know that for a fact. What is a heathen? It's basically someone that doesn't know God, hasn't had an experience of this merging with the word uh, that uh, Octavius Hadfield had. The Chris, uh, sorry, the Christian, the Chinese philosopher Lo Zhu once said, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Of course, when you do make a decision, the next thing that always comes is opposition. Yep. Do we know that? Yep. Yes, yeah, oh, we get an amen to that. You know, isn't it amazing that you make a decision in life, particularly when it's something about God, and all of a sudden, everything turns to custard. You know, has anyone experienced that? Yep. Isn't it crazy? It's just like, it's almost like, if you're going to make a decision, just expect things to start turning to custard. But it's just a smokescreen. This is not the reality. This is what the powers of darkness want to stop you from fulfilling in your life, you see? Because there's, when you have this revelation and you start to engage with God, when you're merging with the word, when you're in this, this situation, when you start making up your mind, now it starts getting real. You know, are you actually going to follow through in what you're making your mind about, up about? So make up your mind. This is what he said. If he gets well, he will go and serve as a missionary among the heathen. He took that first step. Now, the opposition for him in that day was unless you had a full degree from university, guess what? You couldn't be a missionary. You couldn't go anywhere. You had to have a full degree to go anywhere. So already he was in a little bit of a conundrum in, in relation to how is he going to do this thing? Um, so anyway, on, on, on September the 11th, 1837, we're talking, he wrote to the Church Missionary Society, offering myself as a missionary and saying that I was prepared to go to any part of the world. I mean, that's a bold statement, isn't it? Can I ask you, as you merge with the Word, as you get into this place, when you're starting to offer yourself to, to do what God wants you to do, don't have conditions. Just say, God, use me wherever you want me to be used. Because God will then take your offering and he'll start to put things in place. It may not work out how you expect, though. Like this was a two-year process for this guy, right? I mean, he had already surrendered to God. He'd say, use me. And then, uh, and, so he, and then he sent this letter. So the good news was, everyone say, good news. All right, the good news, that's what we're looking for. Bishop William Broughton of Australia said that if you came to Australia and New Zealand, you did not require a degree. That's because we were just so intelligent, you needed, there was no point having a degree. Do we get an amen? So, uh, William, anyone know any Broughtons just off the back of their head? Like some of these names, like as I've been, uh, you know, looking through this study, I know Broughtons. Some of them are involved in my family. And as I go through these different names, including Octavius Hadfield, my best friend's called David Hadfield. 
So it's funny how, you know, you start studying something, you think, oh, I know a few, oh, there's some Broughtons in my family, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe I can claim a little bit to fame. This guy said you don't need a degree. But anyway, let's not let education or what the world defines as being enabled, being the standard for you to say yes to God. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, look, God will take anything and he will use it. And we're all anything. So the next thing is get on the boat. He, he went on a five-month journey to Port Nicholson, which is what we call uh, Sydney, Australia today. Then finally in 19, uh, sorry, 1838, he arrived in Pai here, the Bay of Islands, to the Mission House. And, and then he was ordained within a year as the first clergyman or minister in New Zealand at the age of 25. At this stage, the estimation is there's 2,000 Europeans in New Zealand and 100,000 Māori, you know, which was, would have been an interesting time, right? All of a sudden, the white fellas aren't the, aren't the dominant people running around. It's actually the Māoris, which is cool. I love that thought. The fourth point here today is say yes. It's one thing to go, it's one thing to merge, it's one thing to do all of these things. But we've got to say yes. Will you guys say yes with me today? Yes. Yeah? That's cool. Well, on the, uh, one, one of the days that he was at this mish, missionary uh, house up in Pai here, uh, Matani Te Fifi and Katu turned up. And this was the son and the grandson of Te Rapraha, who was considered the most fearsome chief, uh, at, at that time. I mean, no one messed with this guy. No one messed with his tribe. They generally would come out uh, the loser in the situation. He had a very fierce reputation. He was the rangatea, or the chief, of the Ngāti Toa tribe, which was based in the Kapiti area. Kapiti, anyone been down there before? Know the Kapiti area? Beautiful spot. So though he is still very sickly, this is the next interesting thing this guy said, Octavius Hadfield. He said, I can only die once and would just as soon die in a Māori pa as in the missionary house. Because these guys, this son and this grandson of Tarapraha, he asked that they wanted a missionary to come down to the Kapiti area, you see. But, but no one else wanted to go. He's the only one that put his hand up at this stage. And so he was a bold guy and he was still very sickly. So he left from the Bay of Islands by boat uh, with his mentor, who was Henry Williams uh, from Pai here. And he went to Port Nicholson. Does anyone know where Port Nicholson is? There's one down the hand. Yeah, I see that hand. So Port Nicholson is what we call Wellington today. This is a 17-day trip. And once he landed, he then had to walk 60 k's up to Waikanae. Now this... I think would have really blown his mind um, when he arrived there, was that a thousand Māori came out. A thousand Māori. I mean, I'd be running the other way probably if, if I was in his shoes. Uh, and they came out and guess what? They were singing hymns. Because what had happened is these uh, people that had trained up in uh, Pai here in the missionary house, this son and this grandson of Tarapraha, They'd gone down and they'd shared the good word already. So when they turned up, there's already a whānui or a, a, a church house um, within this area. 
there's a, there was a, the par or the, or the village where they stayed, the fence around the outside was 1.5 k's long. So this was a serious setup. And this is Taraprahas uh, pad. This was his home. This was his people. So they were singing hymns. They also had fragments of the gospels. And uh, yeah, this is what he turned up to. So the fifth thing I want to uh, say to you today is serve the people. Can you say serve the people with me? Matthew 20, 28, which we'd all know this one, it says Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. Look, this guy lived on a diet of biscuits, boiled flour, and the occasional fowl, or as they said in that area, KFC, <laughs> or Kapiti Fried Chicken, that stands for, because there's no KFC, come on, let's catch up with it. Uh, his days started at 4 a.m., his area of ministry went from uh, Kapiti to Taranaki to Wairarapa to uh, Queen Charlotte Sound, which is the top of the South Island. So, I mean, this is a massive area. He raised up a ministry to 7,000 Māori scattered all around the place. He set up 18 schools. And this is this guy that almost died of tuberculosis and had this incredible asthma and was, seemed to be constantly sick. Like when you read his writings, he, had, he got the measles at one stage. I mean, people were dying off all around him. I mean, it was, it was chaos back in those days as, as far as health-wise. Maybe something to do with the diet he lived on, I don't know. I mean, it, it made me laugh they reading, you know, boiled flour. Wasn't that just a dough boy? I'm not sure. I wouldn't mind that, but uh, if that's all you're eating, I don't know if I'd mind that. So he had this incredible ministry set up. Uh, he was credited with saving Wellington from Māori wall parties because what happened is uh, the white boys or the Europeans came in. You know, the challenge in that day is that the Māori believed, but then they saw Europeans turn up who called themselves Christians but didn't act like Christians. You know, they drank, they slept around, you know, they didn't go to church on Sunday but they called themselves Christians. And then they started taking land in Tarapra's area. So being the ferocious warrior that he was, he thought, well, I'm going to go and kick a little bit of, you know, I'm going to do some damage here. Octavius Hadfield interceded for Wellington and came and met Tarapraha and the other chiefs that were with him who were going to destroy Wellington. And they all say that if it wasn't for Octavius Hadfield, probably Port Nicholson or Wellington as we know it today may not be there, certainly not in the form it, is, um, it turned out to be. And you know the incredible thing after this, because everyone tried to put the, the glory towards um, Octavius Hadfield, and he said, never taken any credit, he simply explained that the gospel has displayed its power. You know, this guy wasn't just all about just merging with God, following God, saying yes. He wasn't just all about serving the people, but he actually moved in the power of God. You know, these things don't happen by just human endeavor, by being a hard worker. You need something far greater than that, and that is the power of God on your side. I mean, there's many stories. I mean, if you, if you start to read about it, it's incredible. He went to areas, uh, he had tohungas or the medicine men or as you'd, you'd probably call them, maybe witch doctors within the Māori environment. 
uh, and there are tall hunga still around these days. I know one personally myself I used to work with from the Kafir area um, who placed a curse on him. Everyone thought he was going to die because people knew there's power, right? People knew there's power. He carried on his work, came back two, laters, two days later, the tohunga had died. So, I mean, you know, God moved in power. God moves in power today. When we are about doing his business, God will stand up on our behalf. And without, you know, saying it, obviously the people then had a tremendous amount of respect for Octavius and the God that he was uh, teaching about. The other challenge with Octavius Hadfield was he was actually considered a traitor. Most Europeans at that time didn't like him because he stood up for what was right. You know, when he saw injustices, he, he, you know, he didn't care if someone was a Māori, a European, or wherever they're from. He just stood up for people that he thought, uh, you know, were, were being misused or things were being taken without going through the right channels. And uh, he even got to the stage at one, one time where he petitioned England and got the Governor-General kicked out of New Zealand. So he, he was a man of some motivation. He was a man with a very strong worth ethic. He was a man that moved in the power of God. And through all of this, many, many, many Māori became Christians. And it was through his love and his care, his compassion, his service to the people, his standing up for injustice, fighting on the behalf of the downtrodden. The lo local people, people called him Papa, which is what we know as Papa, a father, um, which was a great honour. They called him the Rangatea Paia, which means the mild chief, which is an incredible honour for someone to be called that, um, even in this day. Taraprah, who was, I think, quite a bit cheeky, which is some, I think, for me, there's always been a very strong connection with the Māori people in my life. Uh, I've had many good friends that are Māoris. And uh, he called him Wera, which basically means to will or bequeath. And I think he called him that because he's expecting to die at any stage because there's always so unwell, you know. And I sort of loved that when I read that. I thought, oh, that's. That sounds like some of my cheeky Māori guys that I know, you know. I mean, it's, but they were good friends. They'd actually developed a very good relationship um, through seeing what he did for the people. And in 1884, Octavius became very sick again. He ended up being taken by stretcher from uh, Kapiti to Wellington, that 60K journey I told you about on a stretcher. He was in bed for six months. He couldn't even sit up. But he ended up being in bed for five years in Wellington. Can you believe it? But over this time, he read, he researched, he wrote letters as soon as, you know, in between the bouts of sickness, even though he couldn't get out of bed. Everyone thought he was going to die again, but he just kept going. And it's, it's said that at that time, he became the most educated man in New Zealand. I'm sure there would have been more than 2,000 by this stage, too, of European um, settlers. The Māori would often say that though his body is weak, his tongue is sound. I love that. You know, it doesn't matter what condition we're in or what we believe we have or don't have. You know, God can use us where we're at in whatever condition we're at. Whether we're about to die and we reach out to the person on the bed beside us, say, mate, I'm getting out of here. What's going on with you? 
you know, or whether we're fit and healthy in our workplace and we've got the opportunity to influence people. When he uh, actually came out of this uh, five years of being stuck in bed, he went back to uh, Waikanae, Otaki area, Kapiti area. And guess what? The mission, everything he had started, had it just kept going. I mean, it was that successful that from then on, the, the missionaries that came into New Zealand patterned their missionary outreach exactly off Octavius Hadfield. So he got it right. He got it right, this guy. The last thing I want to say today is finish strong, whatever you do. Octavius empowered Māori to become ministers. He helped start Bible and schools in New Zealand. He rose to the primate, which means the leader of the church at that time in Wellington. This is in 1890, and he left a story for the ages. This guy had true impact on this nation. He died at 1904, in 1904 at the age of 90. Isn't that amazing? This little kid that was almost dying from asthma and tuberculosis, almost died. I mean, I, I mean, I just think, how did this guy even get to 90? It's incredible, isn't it? Eating biscuits, doughboys, and the occasional KFC. I mean, you know, we're so worried these days about our diets and this. Who cares about all that? Just start serving God. I mean, he can turn anything into anything. If you need the nutrients out of flour, he'll get it to you. This is how God works. So he finished strong on his tombstone. I love this. All it says, this is in St. John's Church near Martin. And the word says, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith, which is straight out of 2 Timothy 4.7. Uh, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Ask yourself this question, just in closing. Ask yourself this question. When you get to heaven... Is anyone looking to get into heaven at some stage? Some of us maybe sooner than later. Hey, you never know your time. That's the exciting thing about it. It's a walk of faith, right? But we know where we're heading. Tremendous confidence. I mean, ridiculous confidence. You know, I, I hear people talking about people dying. And I mean, it just, to me, it's, oh yeah, all right. It's like a casual conversation to me. Because I just feel that, hey, we're going to a better place. You know, you've ever been to a Christian funeral, you know the difference from going to a funeral where they're non-Christian, because I've been to both many times. And Christian funerals, it's this dichotomy of like, should I be happy or should I be sad? <laughs> it's like this, you know, am, a bit, am I a bit crazy? Feeling so excited about this funeral? I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Because we're not of this world. We're passing through. We're caretakers. So I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Have a think about that. When you step into eternity, you're not going to be caring about what colour you dyed your hair that week. You're not going to be thinking about how many houses you own. You know, you're not going to be thinking about anything outside of what, I've, what have I done with what God gave me. And... As I finish today, can I, can I encourage us all, and I'm speaking to myself here, live for others. Don't live for yourself. You know, when you've got the capability to give, give. Even when you haven't, if you feel God asking you, give. 
because when you get into heaven, I'm sure that's all you're going to be looking at. And I reckon you'll see all that stuff. Oh, remember that time you gave that $20 to that guy on the side of the road? Remember that time you shared that thing? Remember that time you sacrificed? You know, this is all we're really going to, I think, be interested in, apart from worshipping and just laying down at the foot of the cross with the 24 hours, casting down our crowns. Just, whoa, I don't know. I mean, it's just beyond imagination how incredible heaven's going to be. But we have the slight taste of it through the Holy Spirit here right now. So let's merge with the Word. Let's get the Word to be part of our life. Let's make up your mind. Don't waste time. It's not then. It's not when you get the money. It's not when you retire. It's not when the kids leave home. Just get up and get cracking now. Merge with the Word. Make up your mind. Get on the boat. Don't just make up your mind. Get on your boat. Step out, you know. Take a risk in your life. Flippin' heck, some of you guys, you've just got bored. You know, it's all about you. It's all about just your personal family. And hey, we've got to love our families. We've got to reach out. But there's a bigger job. You've been called to disciple nations. Not just me, not just the preachers. We all have been called to disciple nations. Say yes when the opportunity comes. And man, serve and serve and serve. Or as Arnold Schwarzenegger says, work your ass off. Excuse the French. And let's finish strong, because I tell you what, it's not in the saying yes, it's not in anything else. We've got to finish strong, right? People are watching. People are watching your lives. Whether you think they're observing what you do on a daily basis or not, they are. So let's be people that finish strong. So, yeah, look, just, just in conclusion, for me, I want to pray for you. I believe there's people in here that have a calling to actually rise up and serve nations. Some of you people that are sitting here, you know it. You know, you were sitting perhaps in a church as a young person. A missionary came through perhaps, shared stories, and you felt the compulsion. You know, I mean, in life, you know, you get this leading of the Holy Spirit towards certain nations. Sometimes it's to pray, sometimes it's to give, sometimes it's to go. You know, you could be any one of those people. But um, let's just close our eyes and I'll pray and then I'll hand it back to Michelle. Thank you, Father.